Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us today right here on Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, The Authority of the King, with a message titled, Jesus Came for Sinners. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, as we join Dr. John now. There is a verse at the end of the passage of Scripture we're studying today that that gives a clear indication of why this incident is included in the Bible. It's Matthew 9, 13, where Jesus says, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That statement is telling. Jesus has absolutely no interest in people who aren't overwhelmed with their own sin. Here's a truth to digest. Some of us have a great deal more problem admitting we're sinners than others. You know, if you've committed adultery and betrayed your spouse, scandalized your kids, and wrecked your relationship and caused bitterness, well, you might be more prone to call yourself sinner. But on the other hand, if you've been faithful to your spouse all your life, and you've cared for your family sacrificially, and You've been a volunteer in organizations that that care for the needy and and have led a basically exemplary life. Well, you might not be ready to count yourself a sinner and kneel at the same altar of repentance beside the guy who visited prostitutes and scandalized his family. You want another example? I mean, consider the prostitute and, and compare her to the woman who's the Sunday school superintendent. Who's the sinner here? Seems clear to all of us. One is and the other's not. And here then is the scandal. Jesus never came to call righteous people to follow him. He said so, and he made that overwhelmingly plain. He had no interest in them. He's only interested in sinners. If you've never heard that before, or if you've gotten used to a tame and an acceptable view of Jesus, I've got to warn you, prepare to be scandalized. But as Christians, we do well to remember that we are to give thanks for our salvation. It's Romans 5.8 that says God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And today I want us to grasp that how radical that statement actually is. And for this amazing truth, we give thanks. We're, We're not scandalized. We're filled with gratefulness. So I'm reading one of the most fascinating passages in the Bible. It's Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. It says that Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at his tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." We've been following Matthew's revelation of Christ the King. Matthew, who's the author of this book, who who witnessed the events he writes about, tells of Jesus cleansing a leper and healing a paralyzed servant from a distance and calming a storm and driving out a legion of demons and, and telling a paralytic to get up and take up his mat and go home. And with each account, we're being led to consider the authority of Jesus. He is a supreme authority. His authority knows no limitations. Here is the long-awaited Messiah. Here also is the coming of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a future event spoken of by the prophets. It depicts a time when evil is going to be defeated 
and all the effects of sin will be overthrown, and his chosen elect will sit at a banquet with the great king, eating and drinking and feasting with joy. And then comes the king. It's a strange time. The old order of things that is sin, death, political oppression, evil, they seem to continue uninterrupted. And yet the blessing of the age to come seems to be taking place in the middle of the present era. The blind are seeing and the deaf are hearing and and so forth. These are strange times indeed, but, but they're wonderful times. But with all these healings, something much more vital is at stake. The last passage, the healing of the paralytic, made that plain. Jesus should have just healed him like everyone else, but he utters words that throw us off guard. He says to the man who is suffering miserably, your sins are forgiven. He wants us to know that the words, your sins are forgiven, are are far more profound than the words, rise up and walk. Indeed, the significance of the words, rise up and walk, are the overwhelming proof that this man has authority on earth to forgive the sins against God. And that's because the real issue of the kingdom of heaven is the overthrow of sin. The kingdom was never about the contemporary issues that we care so much about. See, you can get healed, but you're going to get sick again. You can get rich, but soon your wealth and your house and your property is is going to be left to to someone else. The kingdom of heaven is, is not a focus on these things. The kingdom of heaven is about forgiveness of the worst of sins, that is, sins against God. And it's about the promise of eternity. So let's remember the setting of the last miracle. Go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Now, if you don't know it yet, Jesus' own city refers to the city of Capernaum. It was located on the northwestern end of the Sea of Galilee. The miracle of the healing of the paralyzed man happened in Capernaum. And so we come to verse 9. It says, And Jesus passed on from there. There refers to Capernaum, where he made the paralyzed man walk. After doing that, he passed on from there. I've been making the point that Matthew doesn't necessarily tell the account of Jesus in chronological order, but, but here, the ordering is chronological. Jesus has just healed the paralytic, forgiven his sins, and this was done in Capernaum. And now he's leaving the city when he sees Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, Matthew's tax booth would have stood on the Via Maris. The Via Maris was an international highway running between Syria and Egypt, and it was the largest trade route in the entire nation of Israel. I mean, this route had huge economic significance. In essence, Matthew's booth acts like a tolling station collecting fees from international traffic. But that's not where his duties would have ended. Because the Via Maris ran very close to the lakeshore of the Sea of Galilee, Matthew was also expected to collect taxes from all fish caught in the Sea of Galilee. Every fisherman would have known him and and grudgingly paid him. And furthermore, Matthew would have also collected a head tax levied on all Jewish males in that area. Every home in Capernaum would have been visited by him or one of his colleagues. Let's just say that he was not the favorite son of Capernaum, but he was most likely a son of Capernaum. So let's familiarize ourselves with Matthew the man. Now, In Palestine, all tax collectors were employees of Rome. 
But Rome insisted that tax collectors should be Jews because Rome knew that they needed people who knew the local customs and knew the local people and knew how much money they made and knew how and where they kept their money and how they might hide it from the tax man. And Matthew was hired because he was one of the Jews of Capernaum, and what he knew about his people and his town was, oh, so useful, for it made sure that they would all pay their full share of taxes. And it was for that reason that men like Matthew were considered to be traitors. And worse, if you were a Jew, see, he was a known sinner. The money that tax collectors collected went to Rome, and Rome was taking away the Jewish right of self-determination. So tax collectors were turncoats, men who grew up in the community and yet were willing to turn against their own communities for money, which meant that men like Matthew were not invited when the community met. I mean, I doubt he frequented the local synagogue, and for that matter, I doubt he was invited. He was a man on the outside. And furthermore, tax collectors were allowed by the Romans to collect a commission. And that was supposed to be a reasonable commission. But, but how much is reasonable? And so most tax collectors made sure that the reasonable commissions that they charged for their service made them very rich men. So I'm assuming Matthew is wealthy. I'm assuming he had an expensive house, much like a large villa. I'm assuming that the people he taxed were not wealthy. And they lived in the very modest homes that made up the village of of Capernaum. See, all the more reason why everyone would dislike a man like this. When the kingdom of heaven came, I am assuming most people thought that the very first people to be burned in in the eternal fires, that would be men like, like him. See, one more thing needs to be said about tax collectors. Because they worked for Rome, they would have been required to attend dinners and other social events with Gentiles. And according to the custom of the day, Jews were forbidden from doing this, for the minute you did it, you were unclean. That's who Matthew was. He was an unclean man who sold his soul to get a big house and gain an obscene income. And so getting back to our theme, I think if you were to ask Matthew to describe who he was, I think he himself would have used the word sinner. He would not have denied that one description of himself. Back to the Bible Canada exists to disciple God's people through Bible teaching that strengthens the church and builds the kingdom. We believe the church is essential to God's people. And in uncertain days, your prayers and support of the church is critical as God uses it to advance the gospel. To encourage and equip God's people, we're offering Dr. Newfeld's new series, Lessons for the Church, on CD for free. Request a copy for yourself, a friend, or place it in the church library. Back to the Bible Canada exists to build disciples who know the Bible and serve the church. So we encourage you to stand with your local congregation. Refresh your hearts towards it. Be engaged with its ministry. Extend grace to the saints. By caring for your church, you're loving the family of God. For more information or to order your free CD copy of Lessons for the Church, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
What Matthew was was self-evident. It was no secret here. This man is a sinner. And that, of course, makes him a prime candidate for just the kind of people that Jesus, the great king, was looking for in the elect of his kingdom. See, there's more you ought to know about Matthew. Tax collectors were well-educated men. Almost all of them had been trained in, in scribal techniques. They had a kind of undergraduate degree as a scribe. Matthew, as we learn from Mark and Luke, was a Levite, a member of the Jewish priestly class. His education would have been geared in faithfulness to the Torah, but also in faithful scribal techniques and in learning so he might serve in the temple in Jerusalem when his number came up and who would be expected to teach the scripture. So imagine Matthew, a scribe, trained in the Bible, who used that training he had received, a training that was to be used for the glory of God, traded all that in and became a tax collector. It's like in our day when someone learns how to sing in their local church and then using that talent begins to sing morally bankrupt songs that our culture loves in the most degrading strip joints in town. Luke makes mention of something Matthew doesn't. Matthew says that when Jesus called him that day, Jesus simply said, follow me. And Matthew rose from behind his tax bench and followed him. And Matthew mentions no more than that. I think Matthew's being humble. Luke says in Luke 5:28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. See, we must not overlook this fact. Following Jesus cost Matthew his job, his, his income, and his future retirement package. It was the costliest decision he ever made. But why would he do such a thing? Everything in his life to this point would indicate that's the last thing he would do. Why become a student of a rabbi and enter into his training school long after he had completed all his own biblical training? I mean, why accept no pay? Why trade his future for this? The answer should be obvious. Matthew has not been a stranger to what Jesus is doing. He's witnessed the healings and the teaching. And after all, he was an expert on everything that happened in Capernaum. He may have seen the paralytic rise up and pick up his bed and, and go home just a few minutes before. He may have heard Jesus tell him, your sins are forgiven. And all of that was deeply attractive to Matthew. It was what he longed for himself. After all, he had sinned against the law and against the people of Israel, against the covenant, against everything that was holy. When he became a tax collector, he made a decision from which there was no return. And yet just now, a paralytic was completely forgiven. Was it really possible that this was also possible for Matthew? What if the sinful decision that he had made in the past was not a one-way decision? I got to stop and interject here. I'm always cognizant at times like these that there may be people who are listening to me that completely identify with Matthew. You've wondered about the marriage you've destroyed, about the friendships that have been lost, about some of your unethical business practices, about the papers you handed in at university that were not yours, about all the men you've bedded, about the expectations of your parents that you've betrayed. You're beginning to feel alone and, and the weight of your sins are heavy. And you wonder, like Matthew, is it really possible that I, that I might be forgiven? I can't think of anything that's more important than, than exploring this matter fully, no matter how painful it might be. For if Jesus can not only forgive your sins, but, but offer you a new life, perhaps, just perhaps, you should listen. There came a day in Matthew's life when Jesus took the initiative. No, Matthew didn't approach Jesus. That's, that's not how these things go. Jesus approached Matthew. Later on, Jesus would say, recorded in John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
And in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And, and Paul would echo similar words in Ephesians 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So however you read this text, please don't put your own theological overlay on top of this. This following Jesus was a call that did not originate in Matthew. It originated in Christ himself. And he was a sinner, the very kind that Jesus came for. And Jesus calls him. Jesus stopped at his booth, looked him in the eye and said, hey, you, that's, that's you. I mean, you, Matthew, you follow me. And Matthew was not ignorant of what Jesus could do and the authority he commanded. He, he didn't even hesitate. Look again at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Again, Matthew's being humble here. The house he mentions, it's actually his own house. Luke tells us that. And the tax collectors and sinners, those were his friends. He no doubt paid for that banquet and he made sure that all his friends were invited and they were all there to hear and speak with Jesus. These were the outcasts of the city of Capernaum. This was the worst of the worst of that town. These were the kind of friends he had, but, but no matter, they were friends that would respond to his invitation. He wanted them to know he was, he was kissing his career goodbye. He was abandoning everything to follow this man. He wanted them to know what he was doing and, and why he was doing it. And we need to notice that Matthew calls all these people in the house both tax collectors and sinners. I mean, really, tax collectors, they already belong to the sinners category, but, but these tax collectors had a, had a wide variety of sinners for friends. This was a gathering of the worst. You know, there's an old Burt Reynolds movie where he goes to a confessional and he says, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And the priest says, go ahead, my son. And Reynolds' character says, I sell real estate. And the priest says, well, that's not a sin, my son. And, and Reynolds responds, the way, that, the way that I do, it is. And that's what Matthew could have said. Tax collecting the way that I do, it's a sin. What made all those people in Matthew's house sinners? Well, Matthew never tells us. They may simply have been those people like Matthew, people who were unclean and religiously defiled. They were people the religious establishment would never have accepted. And here was Jesus spending an evening with men and women, all whom were considered unclean, all whom were rejected by the religious establishment. I have to stop here and consider this. What I'm about to say should be rather obvious. I mean, first, you don't have to be cleaned up to meet Jesus. The reality is Jesus comes to us while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of his. And in this horribly unclean state, he invites us to sit at the table with him in the kingdom of the come. It's, it's overwhelming. And that's what Paul said in Romans 5.8. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. We don't get cleaned up. He comes to us while we're sitting at the tax booth or visiting a brothel or fighting with our spouse, or scheming to get rich, or doing drugs, or cheating on our taxes, or using the Lord's name in vain, or, or trying to get over our third hangover this week, or lying to our boss. He comes and finds us in our sins, and he says, come, follow me. He comes our way first, but when he calls us, it will cost us dearly. It's going to cost us everything we have. That is, he demands our lives. You come and follow me. It's all you have to do. You don't have to figure your life out. No, just follow me. I'll figure your life out. Just trust me. But you have to follow. That's how salvation happens. It never comes to those who aren't cognizant that they're sinners. Now, of course, I'm not saying that the middle class or respectable people can't find their way in the kingdom. They do all the time. 
But let me tell you a secret. Those who are called are only those who are overwhelmed by their sin. They're just like Peter. When he first met Jesus, after Jesus caused him to catch the biggest haul of fish he had ever seen, in astonishment, he says, go away from me, Lord. Maybe you don't understand this about me. I'm a sinful and profane man. And what is it that Jesus said? He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. In other words, I'm going to radically transform you. You're going to be my servant. Salvation is never about simply having our sins forgiven. Christ's call, as the German martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer said so well, when Christ bids a man to come and follow him, he bids him to come and die. He demands we leave all that we have. He will never leave us the way we are. Leave your tax booth. Leave the dead to bury their dead. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. I have no place to lay my head. I promise you everything. I promise you a place in the table in my kingdom to come. And in return, I will take from you everything that you have. Matthew thought that was a really good deal. He rose from behind the table in his booth and he tendered his resignation on the spot. And he followed Jesus. And everyone who has ever followed Jesus has really done the very same thing. Lord, all this stuff is now yours. If you bid me to keep it, I'll dedicate it to you and not to me. Would you pray with me? If you're hearing the call of Jesus for the first time ever, would you pray with me? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I'm a guy or a woman like Matthew, and you forgave him and changed his life. Oh God, take everything that I have. I just want to follow you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you're able to forgive my sins. Would you forgive me? And would you make me your own? I would love to be one of your followers. Thank you for calling me today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, John, this is a remarkable story and and how insightful Matthew is that he's a sinner. And yet, you know, we, we look around the world right now and you know and I know so many people that are good people but they don't seem to think they need Jesus. Yeah, I I think sometimes that we blind ourselves to our own sin because I think it's scandalous. Ben, it's just so scandalous to say that I have wrecked my relationship with God and I stand at odds with God himself. I mean, many of us would want to imagine that anything but anything is the, is the truth rather than that. And, and Jesus, you know, Ben, this is so fascinating. I mean, Jesus doesn't even seem to uh, work himself up about that. He, he simply ignores the people who are self-righteous and who think there's no problem. And he walks straight by them and he looks for individuals who are broken up on the inside knowing that I've wrecked my relationship with God. That's who came for. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Have you made plans to join us April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 for the next Israel Experience? Maybe you're holding back and we understand, so we've made it easier to register and easy to be refunded if for some reason we're unable to travel. So don't hesitate, register before the limited space is sold out. Join Dr. John Neufeld, Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway, recently confirmed musical artist Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada team. Travel to the Holy Land where Jesus, Paul, and David walked. Visit the Jordan River, David's royal palace, sail the Sea of Galilee, commune at the Garden Tomb. While the full Israel itinerary is now available, 
So for more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca.